Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, health violations in Brooklyn school cafes, novel revenue for a journalism startup, and a full-service virtual reality storefront. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Ashley Ford. I'm glad to be back. Did you hear about Trump's new budget, within which he wants to replace most food stamps with his version of MREs? That's meals ready to eat. Because he, or probably not him, but the puppeteers animating his ugliness, want to give a bunch of money to some company to give poor people substandard food. And one of the things I'm sure they're saying is that it's because they don't want to give low-income individuals license to choose what they eat, because maybe they bought some candy with their EBT cards. It furthers the flawed narrative that poor people are only poor because they don't know how to take care of themselves, instead of the systemic issues that are the real culprit. Just putting that out there. On the show today, we follow up on a recent story about health code violations in school cafeterias. How concerned should we be? A new local journalism endeavor that might have solved the issue of funding. And then VR in the BR. Double O-K-L-Y-N. But first, these things. Breaking news. Oh, right, we don't do breaking news. Well, this item isn't really breaking news or a news alert. Or actually, even news. Though the networks are touting it like it is. Heads of intelligence met in front of Congress Tuesday and informed them that Russia is still meddling in elections and will keep trying to do so. That's like saying Limburger cheese still smells bad. No surprises, that's just its thing. This doesn't mean we shouldn't do something about it. And I'm not talking about the cheese, just so you know. Governor Cuomo announced on Monday a budget amendment that will provide money for early voting in the state. He's proposed early voting for several years, though without committing funds. Counties have pushed back, saying it would be an unfunded mandate. Now he's saying, here's the funding. It's up to the state legislature to approve this. If they do, it will mean that voters can vote up to 12 days before Election Day, removing them from the list of 13 states that don't allow people to cast their ballots early. But it wouldn't go into effect until 2019. And how did we miss this? February is also Pancake Month? Says who? I guess IHOP and other pancake purveyors like Clinton Street Bakery across the bridge, which is serving up hotcake specials Monday through Friday. And they've got some tongue-twisting concoctions like cherry cobbler pancakes with sweet and sour cherries, cinnamon oat streusel, cherry gastrique, vanilla Bavarian cream. <sighs> Speaking of belly busting, an update on Bagel and Lox Day and the effort to build the world's largest bagel and lox sandwich last Friday in Greenpoint. Spectators looked on as a local bakery brought in a giant bagel that weighed about 100 pounds. The fish company packed on schmear, onions, etc., and layered it with lox. The final creation they birthed weighed in at 213 pounds and 12 ounces. The record will take at least three months to certify, so stay tuned. Coming up, our first guest. Last week, we brought you a report about health violations in NYC school cafeterias. Violations ranged from vermin to unsafe food temperatures. This is a bit of a disappointment, to put it mildly as it comes on the heels of the free lunch for all programs in city schools. This is also a perfect instance of food injustice. 
The six schools in Brooklyn who received a handful of critical violations are in low-income districts and have a majority-minority student body. We're pleased to have with us two of the journalists who broke the story. Paulina Sinyauer, a freelance journalist who writes for NY City News. Thanks for coming on the show. And Rahima Naza, reporting fellow at ProPublica. Welcome to 112VK, ladies. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. This is a big story, and the day that it dropped, everybody on my timeline was talking about it. Everybody was talking about it, I feel like, and I feel like you guys probably <laughs> felt some of that, too. So, Paulina, I understand this is your capstone project, yes. correct? Um, and it's really, really critically informative. I, what led you guys to work on this, and specifically from your point of view, as it being your capstone project? Well, um, it all started uh, over a year ago, I think a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I was uh, talking with, um, with students uh, in the South Bronx in front of one school, and we just ended up, uh, ended up talking about school food because I'm interested in food-related issues, and they mm -hmm. were complaining about food. But that's what kids always do. Right. Uh, that's universal, like everywhere. We complain <laughs> in general. Yeah. yeah. But then they were talking about some like mold in a pizza or some mm. raw chicken nuggets or stuff like that. And then I was thinking that that's mm. not normal. Like it's different to say food is bad, but it's different than it's something is really wrong. Yes. And um, I got curious and I wanted to know what's happening inside the school cafeterias uh, mm. in New York. And yeah. Rahima, this report is full of shocking revelations, but was there anything particularly shocking to you guys? Yeah, so, well, one of the reasons why I was interested in this story is because I grew up here, like, I went to these schools, I had mm. free lunch. Um, and many of the kids in my family, like my cousins, my sister, are still eating that lunch. And so I asked my sister and my cousin to kind of talk to kids their age and, like, tell me what they're hearing and they said well a lot of these kids a lot of our friends they're not even eating lunch they're mm -hmm. not even bothering to eat what they because they don't want to take the risk of it being bad or getting sick and they're just eating junk food outside and like given how we just you know we are celebrating this like free lunch program mm -hmm. but yet you know we're not giving ensuring that our kids get like quality food that that's food that's like safely cooked yeah safely maintained and all that, it's, like, really disappointing. But really, like, the fact that kids weren't even eating lunch at all was right. shocking. Absolutely. And so that meant, like, you know, kids who couldn't afford to eat outside were either stuck with food that could be potentially bad for their health right. or um, they're just not eating at all. And just for people who are listening or, you know, who are wondering things like this, did, were there kids who got sick? I mean, did, were, like, or is there anything where, did somebody see mice, you know, or droppings or any of those things? Yeah, we, we spoke to dozens of kids across the borough, specifically at the schools with, like, the worst violations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, several kids have told me, yeah, I mean, there's, like, mice walking around the school. And this is especially true in cases where there's, like, a lot of construction going oh, around yeah. in the school, too. And mm -hmm. I noticed that there wasn't 
really a lot of proper care being taken to kind of prevent like the mice from escaping. Right. And students also like sent us pictures of what they were seeing. Mm -hmm. um, oh. And as for like getting sick, I think it's like hard to make that direct correlation right. because there's you know when you have kids, there's so many other factors that right. um, can cause illnesses like neurovirus and, and whatnot. Right. Uh, but to rule out the food, you, like you can't rule it out exactly. at all. Yeah. Also, poor nutrition doesn't necessarily, like, it doesn't have to be food poisoning yeah. to be bad for you. Exactly. <laughs> like, it can be bad for you and not go that far. So I totally get that. And actually, the data, sorry, uh, go ahead. Uh, it's, it's from, like, how do we know what is happening inside the cafeterias? It's from the health inspection report. Mm. So uh, we look at them from all the New York uh, public schools from the last five years mm -hmm. and uh, went through the reports and uh, with the with the schools with most violations we also asked for the original reports that showed like mm -hmm. the like really what's happening for example right. that's how we know that in one school there was 1500 field flies and in one school there was 583 fresh mice droppings in one 583 kitchen. fresh? Yes. Is that what you're saying to me, Paula? Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know how they counted them. Like, did they have a machine <laughs> right. or one or by like, one? how did that happen? But, yeah. my goodness. And where was the point, Paulina, for you specifically, that you went, okay, this is worthy of being a story? It was when the, when the kids say that they don't want to eat it. I was just thinking, mm -hmm. like, all the food that is made every day uh, and it's thrown away because... They don't even want to eat it. So that's, like, the biggest waste of food right. that I can even think of. Absolutely. Yeah. Rahima, talk to me about the DOE still insisting that school cafeterias are safe. Um, they said in 2017 approximately 98% of schools pass their inspections. Like you can say 97% pass, but if the bar is so low, then mm. what does that tell you about what you think the quality of kids' food should be, right? Like I think I think um, schools are allowed to get up to 26 points of violations, um, and that's a lot of points, right? Like that means like like. I would care if even, like, there was one roach infestation in my kid's school or a rat right. infestation. But, you know, even if there's one, that doesn't mean that they're going to fail. But, like, I don't know if parents are being notified about even one instance of these infestations. And that's right. a huge problem. Yeah, you that's know? a huge Like, problem. that's an incredibly low bar. It really <laughs> is. And it's terrifying how low that bar yeah. is a little bit. And then for city restaurants, you know, how they have, you get, they get a letter grade outside mm -hmm. the window. I'm not seeing that same amount of transparency about health mm -hmm. inspection records in these schools. Like, yeah, um, the information is available on the school food website, but, like, mm -hmm. how many parents are actually, or how many kids are actually going to look it up? Or even know it's no, there. No, exactly. And, like, my, I know in my house, my parents don't speak English right and I don't know if it would cross their mind to look it up unless like um, mm. my sister or someone was being sent home with a piece of paperwork being like right. here's what's happening in your school cafeteria or these are the inspections and this is what we're doing to like fix them right right like like isn't that such a huge red flag that the same amount of transparency that um, our commercial restaurants have our schools don't have yeah 
That's, I mean, that's terrifying to me. I don't, I don't like it. That's, yeah. I definitely feel like that's something that needs to change. I think most people would agree with you, especially people with kids and people who care about kids. Paulina, can you tell me really quickly before we run out of time, um, what is next for you guys? Are you going to keep following this? Is this something that you're going to expand on? Is there going to be a new project? Just like really quickly, what's going on next? Well, the mayor was asked about this issue. Um, uh, WNYC asked the mayor uh, program, and uh, he said that he will look into the report. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to follow up. Um, still haven't heard anything, but we're trying. Giving it your best shot. Yeah. Well, I hope you get through. Um, I'll tell you what, if somebody comes on here, I'm going to ask them about it because <laughs> this is important. And I really appreciate having you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Media has taken a turn in the past decade or so, what with clickbait, polarization, and infotainment. One journalism startup is trying to write this course to provide a self-sustaining platform so that media outlets no longer have to rely on advertisers and can experience true expressive freedom. Joining us today to talk about this effort, we have Lillian Ruiz, co-founder and head of operations of the journalism startup Civil. Welcome to the show, Lillian. Thank you. And David Moore, co-founder of Sludge, one of Civil's first newsrooms. Thanks for coming on 112BK, David. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you guys here because you're doing things that sound like the future. So I want to know about them now, of course. Um, one of the things is like, you've got some really strong company names, Civil and sludge <laughs> those are just whoo but what are you guys doing because that's going to be the thing that people want to know okay so we're going to start with lillian would you just explain to me right now what civil is doing sure so well what civil's doing right now is building civil but nope. uh, <laughs> but overall what we are doing is that we're a decentralized marketplace for journalism mm -hmm. um, so think about us as the tool the infrastructure um, where newsrooms newsmakers like David can come on and build their own publications and we're also using um, the blockchain and um, our approach to cryptocurrency and smart contracts and so on to allow newsrooms to really uh, jump in. What's blockchain? <laughs> oh, so blockchain, um, there's a couple different sort of mental models. Um, the easiest way to think about just like blockchain at its most basic is as this ledger, mm -hmm. this hyper, uh, hyper technical, hyper accurate, hyper transparent ledger of information like mm -hmm. an Excel sheet. Um, everything that occurs on a public blockchain is recorded in that blockchain. Wow. You can see it. Um, so that's why, for example, when like Jamie Dimon trash-talked Bitcoin and then all of a sudden JP Morgan was buying up Bitcoin, everybody could see it because it's a public right. blockchain. Yeah. Um, so everything operates in a really public way mm -hmm. and you use um, these things called smart contracts to lock those exchanges into the blockchain and lock that documentation in um, and also uh, use smart contracts to sort of verify different processes, um, maintain governance, um, and that sort of thing. What about cryptocurrency? Can you explain cryptocurrency, David? Um, sure. Well, I can, I can take a first uh, pass at it by discussing how it's going to work with Civil mm -hmm. and the cryptocurrency um, that Civil is going to be helping to build. So, Wait, so you guys are building a cryptocurrency? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. Sure. I just wanted to make sure that was clear. So. Um, the ultimate goal of the cryptocurrency project, if I may, is yeah. to be able to uh, create more journalism. Mm -hmm. That's the product, that's the goal. And that's what the community is coming together to do. Right. And it's to create more quality journalism, and there's a few other sort of additions to that, mm -hmm. with an emphasis on local journalism mm -hmm. and an emphasis on independent and the kind of policy journalism that I'm going to be doing um, with my co-founders with Sludge. So cryptocurrencies then will enable this by creating a self-sustaining marketplace mm -hmm. for journalists to be able to do their work mm -hmm. and produce the kind of journalism that they're really sort of dying to be able to publish, but that various market incentives haven't quite been like incentivizing them in the right direction right. to. And then to do that, to build businesses and mm -hmm. to be able to, to pay their expenses and also just to be able to put it back into the reporting mm -hmm. so that there is really um, overall the goal of the civil cryptocurrency um, towards the project is to help reporters do more and better reporting with right. a more direct and efficient flow of resources from the various sorts of like subscribers and supporters mm -hmm. Um, to the people producing the work, the people right. publishing the words. And what is that reporting going to look like on Sludge? Sure. So Sludge is a newsroom that's going to be on the civil platform. So we're going to be one of many projects that are going to be publishing using the civil's sort of publishing tools, and there's mm -hmm. suite that's forthcoming. And we're focused on money and politics. So we're going to be doing mm -hmm. some muckraking. Yes. And so for us, that Look means, great. yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're excited. So for us, that means uh, later this spring when Civil launches, mm -hmm. we're going to be uh, drawing the connections between special interest lobbying and policymaking. And we're going to be exposing the shadowy ways that corporations and special interests exert their influence throughout uh, the policymaking process. And we're going to try to do this at uh, a deeper level. Mm -hmm. um, so really, like, really examining the power uh, networks and some of the deeper ties that result in public policy, mm -hmm. the current very closed process being made like it is. Absolutely. Woo! Please excuse, excuse my glee, because I... <laughs> Feeling very happy about that. I love it when people, um, you know, sort of uh, turn these, I think you described shadowy mm -hmm. situations, these shadowy interactions. Um, I love it when people shine a light into those dark corners. So is this sustainable? Yeah. I mean, I would say that when we started thinking about civil um, and when our CEO, Matthew Isles, kind of came to the idea... Um, what we were gathering around and what was exciting was like, okay, how do we, you know, we, how do we make something that's sustainable for journalism? What does mm -hmm. that look like? And, um, you know, we had a conversation pretty early on where, you know, we were just talking about various ideas and I was working on a separate project and, um, you know, I kept sort of lobbying. I was like, I think nonprofit, nonprofit, nonprofit is the way that journalism stays sustainable and you just use nonprofit funding to build your pipelines and that's right. what it is. And he was like, have you heard of this thing called blockchain? Um, mm -hmm. And the reason that I think this is sustainable and it, it is interesting is because just kind of going back to, for example, the cryptocurrency, the token element to it. The token is really like, think about it as like almost like a software license or like mm -hmm. your IP address. Like that's what's allowing you to work and transact and um, move forward and grow your community and interact with other members of the community right. on the platform. Um, so you've got that element of just using the token for the actual community building and the mm -hmm. actual um, deep touch sort of. Um, and also, you know, maintaining the... Uh, 
you know, the quality and efficacy of the network itself. And then you've got this other element of just, I think that people have been, I think consumers of news have been looking for a place to consume news without all of the bells and whistles and oh, the yeah. doodads. I would agree. Um, so, like, the technical, fun, swanky stuff aside, mm -hmm. um, there isn't, there aren't a lot of places where you can go and find local news, policy news, investigative no. news, and be able to not just read it, but really participate in it. Well, you know what the new question is going to be? Who's behind it? I mean, yeah. that's going to be the question <laughs> that people have. It's like, yeah. that's what people are worried about now. It's like, for so long, people didn't really think about who was behind their news, right. who was funding these different things. And now they're going to, I mean, they're absolutely going to come to civil and yeah. say, okay, who's behind So yeah. who is? And who's behind it? So, I mean, who's behind it? So, you know, from the super foundational aspect, you know, there's obviously our primary investor, mm -hmm. um, Consensus. They're based out of Bushwick. Um, and they do a lot of fascinating stuff and work on a lot of fascinating projects around everything from, you know, decentralized tech to, you know, using blockchain for social good. They have mm -hmm. a lot of interesting programs and so on. So that's like one thing. But who's behind what's actually the news that's getting made? That is 100% like, that's the consumer. That's, mm -hmm. you know, it could be whoever else it is, but because it's, we're operating on a public blockchain and a public ledger, mm -hmm. you can see who's tossing their weight around pretty easily. Right. Um, so that's, I think, what's important to us is, like, you will actually be able to follow the money trail for Fantastic. any of our newsrooms super easily. Which, which I care about a lot, of <laughs> Yes, course. of course you do. Right. Very much looking forward to it. I wish we had more time. Thank you guys so much for being here. But we'll have you back when you launch, because I'm going to have more questions, <laughs> and I'm going to want to be even more excited about what you're doing, or disappointed. Hopefully not disappointed. <laughs> Hopefully just really into it. Yeah. All right, thank you guys so much. Thanks so thank much you. for having us. Virtual reality seems to be all the rage these days. With VR, you can draw in three dimension or conquer your fear of heights on a roller coaster simulation. But how many of us have actually experienced it? Well, Right here in Brooklyn, there's a local business that welcomes kids of all ages to explore this otherworldly realm. Here to tell us more is George R. Cassius Jr. from Yoki Pokey Virtual Reality. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. What is Yoki Pokey? Uh, Yoki Pokey, well, it's a really interesting name, but uh, we are a virtual reality arcade. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's a space where someone can go to explore and experience all things that are fun, new, and immersive in this new media platform called virtual reality. What exactly is virtual reality or augmented reality? Because yeah. you say that, and uh, you know, I can just see my mom right now being like, "He talking about video games." Yeah. I know what video games yeah. are, but it's different. It's very, very different. Really, you know, it's a, it's a new platform to tell stories, mm -hmm. um, similar to the way radio or or video or television, you know, or the cinema is a, is a way to tell stories. Mm -hmm. Virtual reality is really a way to tell stories, but far more immersive. You can step into the story. Right. You see, uh, it's something that is very different that you can, uh, excuse me. It's okay. Uh, yeah. uh, it's something that is extremely fun and exciting, and it's a way you can lose yourself mm -hmm. in, in the film or in the movie. Mm -hmm. Just the same way 
you watch a movie and you get lost, mm -hmm. you can actually be inside of the movie with virtual reality. I love that. Yeah. I think about, you know, getting lost in songs a lot and how, you know, one of my favorite things to do, especially in this city, is put on my headphones and walk around and basically just pretend I'm in my own music video. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I know that you have a background as yeah. an audio engineer yeah. specifically. Yeah. How do you go from that? Because I'm thinking about it now in yeah. terms of just like the immersiveness of listening to things. Yeah. But how how do you go from audio engineer to creating something like Yoki Pokey? Yeah, so for me, my first experience in virtual reality was through audio. Mm -hmm. you know, I had a friend of mine who was telling me about uh, uh, video game audio and how that's a lane that you can get into to, to do music for and do audio wow. for. Uh, and from there, I discovered this whole new world. This was about three or four years ago mm -hmm. in regards to virtual reality and, and using sound, because we use sound consistently in our real world to understand our environment. And we use sound consistently with film to, to give cues about what's happening in, in the story. Uh, with virtual reality, you know, one thing that's been missing uh, in the early days was using sound to tell a story. They just have this right. 360 space around you. Uh, so that really uh, attracted me to, to the medium and learning more about it. And once you take a taste of virtual reality... It's like it's you like, don't really... It's like it's something that you want to do now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I became somewhat of a VR evangelist. And as an audio engineer, it's one of those things that... It's always been my job to be a translator between mm -hmm. the artist... Uh, and the program and the people. Right. And uh, the thing about VR, I feel as though uh, it's, it's something that will help translate the art form mm -hmm. to the people in a much more immersive way. Is that something you think people, most people don't understand about VR as it relates to the future? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think they're, they've been thinking about, well, what can I do in virtual reality? What is this? How does this affect me? You know, this has been a big buzzword, and we're all talking about it, but what does this mean to, to me? And I think they don't understand mm -hmm. how big of an impact it will be to, to them. I think you said before that one of your only concerns or deepest concerns about tech growth is who has access to yes. it. Yes. Um, and I know that I think about that all the time in yeah. terms of, you know, race, in terms of class, mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, it's just like people in rural communities have a really yeah. hard time getting access to tech. Um, is there a digital divide we should be cautious about? For sure. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why I, I got into this VR arcade uh, with Yoki Pokey. Mm -hmm. There is a huge digital divide amongst people, uh, especially these days. And when there's any type of new technology that's released, we know that there are folks who are being left out, unfortunately. Is that true in Brooklyn? Yes, definitely. It's definitely yeah. true in Brooklyn. It's true in Brooklyn, New York, and all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that's important for me is to provide access to all people. I mean, the cost of having an immersive experience of virtual reality is ex already extremely high. Mm -hmm. You have to drop, say, $400 on a headset, not right. considering the computer you need to run it, and the cost uh, of building that computer can be in anywhere, say, two or $3,000, right. especially as certain... Pro parts of the computer called like a GPU. I'm not, mm -hmm. not going to get too technical, but yeah, uh, like, the, okay. there are parts of a computer <laughs> that are being used by folks in artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and, and blockchain for like Bitcoin. Right. Uh, and also being used in virtual reality, that's, co that's causing the cost of these components to be extremely high. The right. average person can't can, can afford that. Uh, so we have this new platform to tell stories that's revolutionary, mm -hmm. and yet the people who can use that platform, they have no access to it. You right, know? which then complicates 
what we get from the technology yeah. and whose stories get told yeah, through it. So exactly. I'm with you there. I feel you. Thank you so much for being here. Can you tell me really quickly if I'm interested in maybe taking a kid to figure out some Yoki Pokey, mm-hmm. where do I take them? So, you know, I feel as though going to Yoki Pokey is like uh, going to a new train platform. Yes. You know, uh, you can take a train at Atlantic Yards to, you know, Jamaica, or you can hop on a, pl- a train to Yoki Pokey to unimaginable destinations. Right. You know, it's like platform nine and three quarters in Harry yes. Potter, right? You know, yes. um, you can literally step into another dimension. Where's the address for your arcade? Sure. It's 537 Atlantic Avenue, mm-hmm. uh, one block away from the Barclays Center. So Fantastic. we're very close by. Hope you get some new customers or some new kiddos to come check things out soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow with a look at the expansion of the Brooklyn Navy Yard. The Lunar New Year and Weeksville celebrates 50 years. Hope to see you then. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barkey, Emily Bogosian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Havasak, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leith, and Sasha Mathias.